Bibles and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 9 this morning. Uh, You can find our passage on page 151 if you're using one of the Red Pew Bibles. We're picking back up in our study of the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, we're only going to be covering 6 through 9, but it's, this is a rich chapter. I, I think I warned you as the, of this as we were getting back into the series on Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 is extremely deep, and we want to so- soak in every, um, every part of it. So uh, this morning, actually, I, I hope that this is going to be a very practical message for you. Um, this morning, I want to speak to you about the art and the discipline of biblical meditation. That is really the focus of our text this morning, and it's an important step for us to take considering how, how having spent so much time last week looking at the importance of God's Word for knowing God and loving God. Most Christians know that they need to read their Bibles. I always find that the easiest way to make someone who's a confessing believer feel guilty is to ask them about their Bible reading and about their prayer life. They usually will say, I'm not where I need to be. We know we need to read God's Word. We know uh, that we need to be in it, but sometimes I think that Christians can struggle um, to incorporate God's Word into our everyday living. So as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, we see how God's Word is meant to go with us, how it is meant to sustain and nourish us as we go throughout our day. Uh, We see that we're called to meditate on God's Word. And in many ways, I think that this is the link that is really missing from Christians' lives who struggle to read the Bible and see how it affects their day-to-day. Biblical meditation is what God-lovers do with God's Word. It is the art and discipline of filling our hearts and our minds with God's Word, of savoring it, so that through the complementary work of the Holy Spirit, we are changed by it and fueled by it, shaped by it. It's, it's an art because it's something we have to learn to do, something we're always growing in. And it's a discipline because it takes effort and self-control to dedicate ourselves to learning how to meditate well on God's Word. So I want to press into this, that what our passage given us a really good opportunity to think about how central this is meant to be in our lives. And that's what I want to press in with you as we look at this passage. Biblical meditation is a command from the Lord. It's a command that is aimed at our good. It's essential to our growth and godliness. And it is an expectation from God, part of his fatherly love for us, because God is concerned that his people are not merely familiar with his word, but that we are also laying it to heart. So he commands us to take, our word, take his word into our heart so we may be nourished by it. To give you an idea of God's purpose in this command, imagine that you are sitting down to dinner with your family. In our house, my mom uh, would work very hard to make sure that dinner was ready and time for us all to share it together. So we'd come home from school and immediately she would start getting things ready so that when my dad came home from work, we'd all sit down ready to go so we could enjoy that family meal together. With all the after-school activities that were going on, that was not an easy thing to do, and yet she always seemed to pull it off. 
Now, as she worked, I would remember like sitting in my room or working in my room on my homework, and I, our house would begin to smell with this delicious smell of cooking. And when it was all ready, we would be called to come to the table. And then right before us, even though it was a regular weekday, we'd have this wholesome meal presented to us. My mom is an excellent cook. Uh, she made those meals however expedient they had to be with love, and we got to eat them in fellowship with them together. She made sure that even if we were going to some practice right after, we were ready to go and we had what we needed. We had the energy we needed. I think the joy of a good cook really is in seeing the pleasure and the satisfaction that comes on the faces of those who eat at their table. Can you imagine sitting down to that dinner, seeing it all laid out before you, smelling the smells, saying thank you, and then getting back up and walking out without eating. It would be an insult to your mother and you'd be hungry. Food is made to be eaten. It is made to nourish you. And you can only do that if you actually take it in. You can't live off the smell of good food. I know Jimmy John says free smells. It can't help you unless you actually eat a sandwich. To get anything out of the food, you've got to chew it up. You've got to swallow it. Your body has to digest it. And so it is with the Word of God. That is what makes meditation so important. And so as Moses called the people of Israel together in this chapter, as he commanded them to hear God's Word, we also hear him calling God's people to lay God's Word to heart. And in this passage, I think we really hear the voice of God calling us to his table to be richly nourished by his word. So let's begin by reading our text. If you will, please stand with me as I read Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 6, and then reading through verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God for it. Please be seated. Well, the book of Deuteronomy is a book that is focused on teaching us the way of holiness. That is the priority of this book. These words were first, first spoken by Moses to the people of Israel as they were about to enter into the land of Canaan to receive it as the Lord had promised their fathers before them. At this point, it has been about 40 years since Israel first received the law at Mount Sinai. Again, bear in mind, this is the second generation that first received these commands and met with God at the foot of the mountain, uh, but which was cursed to die in the wilderness because of their rebellion. So Moses is speaking to this younger generation. He's preparing them to enter the land. These, this, this sermon that he is preaching is taken with them and communicated after generation to generation to generation as instruction from the Lord. It's, it's not an additional law. It is the explanation of the law meant to be taken and lived out. As Moses 
is here preparing this generation to go into the land. He's preaching to them from the law, making sure that they not only know God's commands, but they're committed to do them. He's equipping them to live and thrive in the good land that God has prepared for them. Now, last week, Moses gave them the greatest commandment, as Jesus calls it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And now, in verse 6, Moses is giving them a complimentary command to take these words and lay them to heart. And although he doesn't use the word meditate here, that really is the word that best describes what he's saying to them. So that brings us to the main idea of our text, which is this. Make the meditation of your mind and the meditation of your heart God and his word. Set your mind and set your heart on God and his word. In our time this morning, I want to access four things that Moses says our response to God and his word should be. First, I want to show you that meditation on God and on his word is a command. It is a divine expectation for you, something that God calls you to do. And with that established, I want to answer three questions about what biblical meditation is and how we do it. I want, I want, as we go from here, I want you to be able to answer what is biblical meditation? When are we supposed to meditate? And why are we supposed to meditate? So we're going to look at the command itself, and then we're going to answer three key questions that help us take this principle, this doctrine, with us into our lives. So let's begin by looking at the command of meditation. In his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, Don Whitney makes the point that meditation is both commanded by God and modeled by the godly. Indeed, we see that modeled for us here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. As Moses worked to prepare the people of Israel to enter the promised land, he wanted to make sure that, one, they remembered God's law, which he had given them, but also that they were relating rightly to that. Last week, we dealt with the heart of the law, what Jesus calls the greatest command, to hear God's word, to know God through his word, and to love him, responding rightly to him. The rest of this book is really Moses unpacking that for us, starting with this charge, which he's given us here in verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. We can't say that we've truly listened to the Lord if we don't take his word to heart. And that's what makes the art and discipline of biblical meditation so important to us. By internalizing God's word, by taking it in and laying it to heart, we are equipped to really know and love God as he has called us to know and love him. God commands us to meditate on him and on his word because there's a blessing in it for us. It's part of enjoying him and glorifying him. In Joshua 1, uh, verse 8, the Lord says to Joshua just after the death of Moses, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make, I will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Notice the progression of God's, God's command, his charge to Joshua there. He says that by meditating on the book of the law day and night, 
Joshua will be then equipped to carefully do everything that God had commanded him to do. And then he promises him that as he does, he would bless Joshua and the people, prospering him and them and giving them good success in the land. God's commands, we have this idea that God's commands can be burdensome, that they can be hard. And God does call us to some, we can be some hard things, but they're never meant to be a burden. They are meant to make us thrive. God gives us his commands for our good. They're meant to be a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. Like a delicious, nutritious meal made just for us, God has given his word to us to make us live. It's it's food for our soul. With it, we thrive, and without it, we starve. Jesus says when he's being tempted by the devil to turn stones into bread, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the God's word is more fundamental to your health and your life than the food you eat day to day. God commands his people not just to hear his word, but to meditate on it because it's through that he means to keep and sustain us. His word is not meant to go in one ear and out the other. As our heavenly father, he has given us his word to be rich food, to enrich us, to equip us for the work he set before us. And in calling us to meditate on his word, God really is calling us to sit down at his table, to enjoy what he has prepared for us, to be nourished by it so we grow in our love and affection for him and for his righteousness. God calls us to meditate on his word because he means for us to thrive through his word. Sometimes we miss that, even though we're careful to make sure that we're spending time in God's word. Uh, The Puritan pastor Thomas Watson once observed that oftentimes the reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. That's a rich way to say that. Ever read your Bible and gone, well, I don't know what to do with that, and then you're already thinking about, or even in the midst of reading your Bible, you're already thinking about what you need to do after you finish. Meditation causes us to stop and to internalize what God is saying so that we take that into whatever task comes after we finish reading. If if you're not getting anything out of spending time in God's Word, perhaps it's because you are not spending time meditating on it. Maybe you're reading of God's word has become nothing more to you than a task. Something you do because you know you need to, you know that your friend is gonna ask you about it later, but you spend very little time actually thinking and steeping yourself, soaking in what you are reading. If you wanna unlock the riches of God's word, you must spend time meditating on it. That is why God commands us to do it. He does not care that you spend 15, 30, 20, however long your Bible reading is, if you're not doing it in love and in pursuit of him. Psalm 1, one for, uh, verses 1 through th- 3 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, 
he prospers. Notice that blessing of God's word is not merely given to the reader, but to the one who meditates on it, who plants themselves in it the way a tree is planted beside a flowing stream and thrives even though there's a drought. It has nutrients and sustenance. It, is, it holds fast because it is nourished. God's word nourishes us when we internalize it, when we lay it to heart. Earlier I said that meditation is what God lovers do with God's word. They love his word because they love him, and they love him because he first loved them. They prioritize spending time thinking about God and what he has said because he is their treasure. They discipline themselves to dig deep into God's word. And as they do, they find precious gems to live life by. They meditate out of obedience to his command, but also because it is their delight to do so. They have tasted and they have seen the treasure of God's word, and they want it more and more and more. So what does it mean? To meditate. Hopefully, that has proved to you that we need to do this, if nothing else than out of obedience to God, but also because we want to be nourished by His Word. So how do we actually do that? Well, the word meditation, as I said that, as I say that, I kind of struggle with how to format this sermon because I wanted to define what meditation was. But first, I felt like it was important to establish with you that meditation is a command. So, so when we think about meditation, I think that can be a word that's a little taboo in Christian circles, because there's a lot of different flavors of meditation. It's, it's actually, it's a word that's loaded with meaning. So as I stand here in front of you and say, God commands you to meditate, that we must lay our, his word to our heart if we want to thrive in him, I realize we've got to stop and actually say, what, what is God calling us to do? We need to distinguish the kind of biblical meditation that God is calling us to and how it is different from the way that modern culture thinks about meditation. Because when most people think about meditation, they, they probably think of getting control of inner thoughts, of finding some inner peace. There's lots of methods for that. It's pretty popular to hear people talk about meditation as a way of dealing with stress, of finding relaxation and focus. Meditation is really something that in our culture has become associated with, with yoga, with transcendental movements, and with Eastern mysticism. Understand that that is not the biblical idea of meditation. Biblical meditation is not emptying your mind to find peace. It is filling your mind with purposeful thinking about God and the truth and finding peace in Him. Biblical meditation is not seeking to reach some plane of mental passivity. It is activity. It is constructive thinking about how to implement what God has said into how we perceive him and into how we worship him. Biblical meditation is not seeking to get on some higher plane of existence. Rather, it is embracing the grace of God that has been so richly poured out on us through Christ, being transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The sort of meditation that God calls us to is a laying to heart of what he has said, responding to it in prayer, relying on it by the Spirit, and employing it in our daily lives. 
Meditation happens when we immerse ourselves in God's word, when we take it with us and are affected by it. It's the sort of thing that happens when you take a, a, a tea bag and place it in a cup of hot water. As the tea steeps, the water in the cup gradually begins to take on the color of the tea and its flavor. I, I really like clear cups when I drink tea because I like to watch that process happen. Eventually, if, you ever, if you're a tea drinker, which not being from the South, I'm sure that you guys don't necessarily drink tea the way it's supposed to be, but one way or another, as you watch a tea bag steep, you'll see that the tea, it, the water itself begins to change. It, it takes on the color of the tea. It takes on the flavor of the tea. And eventually, it's not water anymore. It's tea. In and of itself, it's tea. And the longer the bag remains, the stronger the tea becomes. Meditating on God's word is allowing God and his word to invade every crevice of our lives, setting our sights on God and on his commands. It is seeing and savoring God in his glory, the way he has revealed himself in his word. It is seeing ourselves in light of what God says about us, how we were created by him to know him and love him, how we have rebelled against him and fall short of his holiness, how we need a savior to save us and to set us free from that, how we need someone who can atone for our sin, how God has sent that savior to us in Jesus Christ to be received by faith. Meditating on God and his word is adopting the flavor of Christ's life for our own. It is adopting Christ's priorities as ours. It is committing ourselves to do his commands. It is loving him with a whole heart, with our whole mind, with our whole soul, with our whole strength, pursuing him accordingly and resting in his goodness. Man, that sounds good, doesn't it? So how do you actually do that? Well, a couple pointers for you. The first way that we commit ourselves to this, the first way we do this, is we come to God's word hungry. Come to God's word with expectation. In the pastoral prayer, I always try to start by building that as we're praying, that, that God will answer that prayer to feed us, give us hungry hearts, and satisfy that hunger. Be hungry as you come to God's word to know God through it. Be hungry to, to grow in your love for him. Be unsatisfied with where your relationship with God is now and seek to be satisfied in him. We prioritize what we value and what we desire. The way you spend your time and the way you spend your cash is one of the best ways to, to really evaluate what is most important to you. A heart that desires God will spend itself in pursuit of him. So come hungry. Second, come by faith to God's word. Seek wisdom and understanding. In Proverbs, wisdom is depicted to us as a, a woman who goes into the street and cries out, how long will you be simple? Come to me and eat at my table. God does not despise the one who cries out to him for wisdom and understanding. Jesus did not despise Mary when she sat at his feet to listen to him teach while her sister Martha busied herself in the house. He said that Mary had chosen the better portion. Friends, it's, it's okay to have a messy house. It's not okay to ignore 
what Christ has called you to, to be refreshed in your soul so that you can do these outward things. When we cry to God to help us understand his word and to give us strength to set our hearts upon it, we are putting faith into action. We are asking him to do something he has already told us he delights to do. He will answer that prayer. So the third thing we should do is come prayerfully, praying your way through God's word. This has been one of the greatest ways that I have grown in my appreciation for God's word by praying God's word back to God. There is no better place to set God's word upon your heart than before his throne. When when I know that my heart is not right, when I'm struggling to treasure God's word, the Holy Spirit always seems to make his word hit a little harder and cut through the fogginess of my own weakness when I come to the Lord and pray his word back to him. So pray, meditate prayerfully. Fourth, Come to God's word regularly. This is where discipline is so important. It is so easy. In our house, our wake-up call is usually Rebecca screaming for us. Okay? We hit the ground running. And it is so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day demands. Diapers got to be changed. Juice got to be filled. Food's got to be set on the table. I've got this appointment. I've got that appointment. Where's God's word? How can I do that if I haven't meditated on God's word to take that with me? And you take that and plug it into your own life. You know it is easy for your attention to be taken off off of this. This is a priority. You wouldn't go run a marathon. I made the mistake of running in a race one time without eating. It was a terrible idea. (laughs) I was sapped of energy. I was actually thinking about picking up food wrappers that I saw on the ground and sucking on them just to get a little bit more energy. That's how crazy hunger will drive you. Be that hungry. Be that hungry. Come to God's word regularly. You eat regularly, eat from God's word regularly. If we are not spending intentional time in God's word, it is very difficult to spend time meditating on it. Meditation is more than just reading through. It is coming back to it and coming back to it and seeking to remind ourselves of what God has said. Fifth, We meditate on God's word by speaking about it to others. Notice in verse 7, Moses says that we are to lay God's word to heart, but that we're also to teach it diligently to our own children, that we're to talk about God's word in our homes and on the road. I have a little bit more to say about this in a bit. But for now, I just want you to see that meditating on God's word is not something that is meant to be wholly private. Yes, you should meditate on God's word when you're alone, but you should also meditate on God's word when you are with others. Man, I've been reading in the Gospel of Mark about this, and this is standing out to me, and I'm convicted about this. What are you reading? You see how that pushes other people to meditate on God's word too? How it turns normal moments into teaching moments that build us up in the love of Christ? So come to God's word and meditate on it with others. Sometimes the deepest and greatest insights into God's word come to us when we are talking about them with each other. God's word is meant to bring God's people together like a family dinner brings a family together. Part of the joy of eating dinner together, part of the joy of meditating is getting to meditate on God's truth together. When we meditate together, we actually equip each other to have eager hearts for God and his truth. We grow in knowing God and we grow in loving God. So 
Part of the struggle of deep godly meditation, I think, is incorporating it into our everyday life. So far, we've established that God calls and commands us to meditate on his word. We've looked at what that kind of meditation actually is and how we can do that. Now we need to look at when we're supposed to do that. When are we supposed to meditate like this? Well, Moses gives us the answer in verse 7. You shall teach them, this is the law, teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. There is not a time nor a place when the word of God is not meant to be written on our heart and on our mind coming or going, standing up or sitting down, traveling here or there, the word of God is meant to be with us. Not only that, Moses tells us that we're to be talking about the Lord and his commands at all times and in all places. Notice he says, speak of these things. Now, I suppose we could treat this very rigidly. We could make this a burden and an obligation. Oh, I, have to talk. I can't talk about anything else. I just have to only talk about this. You're turning God's command into a burden there think that would be to miss the point of what Moses is actually saying. What Moses is describing is the way that meditating on who God is and on what he has said is actually intended to effuse into every moment of our daily life. It's the same sense that we get from when Paul says that we are to pray without ceasing. That is not to say that we're meant to spend every moment of every day in deep, deep study on God's word and in deep, deep prayer in our closet. We have other obligations that need to be taken care of, responsibilities that are given to us by God. We have jobs, we have school, we have homes, we have families that need to be taken care of. This command to meditate on God's word, to lay it to heart, to speak it at all times to ourselves and to others, is a command to take God's word with us into all of those God-given responsibilities. What Moses is saying, and what I think we're meant to understand from this, is that we're meant to take meditation on the Lord into everything we do. It is to see opportunity to rest in God and to draw near to God in every circumstance, even in the most stressful ones. It is to spend our lives in joyful participation with God and in joyfully making His glory known as we go throughout our day. The picture that Moses is painting for us is the opposite of that temptation to compartmentalize God, to make him a portion of our life and our time and our energy, but not all of it. By meditating on God, by speaking about him with each other, wherever we go, laying our, his word to a heart, taking it in, soaking ourselves in it, we are equipping ourselves to live in this world with joy. Because we do not merely see a world, but we see our Father's world. We see order and beauty. We see his wisdom put on display. We see his kindness and his love towards us. We see people that he has made in his own image. We see the ugliness of sin. And we see the victory of Christ that overcomes. By meditating on God and his commands at all times and in all places, we're able to keep calm when everything in our world is crashing down around us. By fixing our gaze on Christ, we are able to live in this world without being mastered by the things of this world. We're able to find true rest, true peace, and a sense of serenity that comes from knowing the goodness of our sovereign king. So as we think on the glory of God, as we meditate on his word, we're able to point others to his glory as well. We're equipped to offer answers to life's hard questions. 
we're able to confront sin, to repent of it to others, to forgive others, and to live graciously with those who have wronged us. It's through this steady, constant meditation on the glory of God that we are able to reflect glory out into the world around us, to be salt in a flavorless world, to be light in a world that is full of darkness. Meditation turns every moment into a moment of worship. And so Moses warns us not to compartmentalize our, God, our time given to God and our time given to other things. He teaches us rather to give our whole selves to the, wor- to the worship and service of Christ, to do all things for his glory. Finally, we have to ask this question of why should we meditate? I hope, that, I hope that's kind of answered itself so far. But when we think about the effort that this takes and we ask ourselves, why should I do this? Well, to put it quite simply, it's because meditating on God's word is the difference between filling our heads with the knowledge of God and making our whole lives about loving God. In verses 8 and 9, Moses speaks to the people about how they are to live purpose-filled lives founded on God's commands. He says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The picture that Moses is painting here is of how God's commandments are meant to function in everyday life. Our homes are to be founded on them. The actions of our hands are meant to be done by them. The way we see the world and, and view God in it is meant to be informed by it. People should be able to recognize followers of Christ by the way we have lived, by the way we're living in accordance with God's commands. God's word is to go with us into every activity. It is to guide and direct us. We are to found our homes on it and live upon what he has commanded. In post-biblical times, Jews began taking this commandment very literally. Even today, you'll see they will tie boxes containing tiny copies of the law to their hands and to their heads. And they will nail copies of the law to their doorposts. And I must say, I appreciate their zeal for this command, but I also wonder if they have fully understood the depth of what Moses was saying. You see, the Pharisees in Jesus' day were very easy to identify. They had all the outward markings of a person who was zealous for the law. They wore certain clothes to identify themselves. They made their tassels and their phylacteries broad and long. They were honored and respected by all for their commitment to the words of Moses. But when Jesus came in contact with them, he called them whitewashed tombs, serpents, and vipers. He accused them of laying all sorts of burdens on people's shoulders while not being willing to even move them with their own finger. They were religious in every way, but they did not know God. And that was evident by the fact that when the Son of God came, they rejected him out of jealousy, viewing him as a threat to their power that needed to be destroyed. It seems quite clear from the context of this passage that when Moses speaks of binding the law of God to our hand and to our heads, He is speaking figuratively about the way that God's word is meant to direct us in everything we do. We show that we are sons and daughters of God, not because we have verses hanging up in our living room or because we wear a cross around our neck or because we have a WWJD. I don't even know if they even make those anymore. Because we have a bracelet on our hand. We show that we are sons and daughters of God by the way that we love him and by the way we do what he has commanded us to do. 
Anyone can wear a cross. We've been called to bear it. We show that we are children of God because our faith in Christ Christ is lived out in what we do for Christ. We show that we belong to the kingdom of heaven because that is where we are laying our treasure up and our mind and our heart is always set there. This is why meditation is so important. It's the difference between mere knowledge and faithful living. It's that action of savoring God's word so that we are nourished by God's word. That's why we're called to meditate. That's why we're called to sink our roots deeply by faith into the soil of Christ so that his life flows into us and his Holy Spirit bears the fruit of faithfulness in us and how we live. We meditate because by faith we've been joined to Christ and we want to know him more. Not only that, we want others to know him as well. If we go back to verse 7, we can see how Moses, talking about how we are to teach diligently the next generation these commandments of the Lord, he says, you shall teach these words diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. Rebecca is starting to talk a lot lately. If you spend any any amount of time with her, uh, she is starting to slam sentences together. It's a little scary and it's very cute. I I, I honestly, I, I think I forgot how much fun this stage is. As she learns to talk, she's just repeating what she hears us say to her. And then she takes that and builds her own sentences. The other day, Titus walked in the room and I heard her go, hey, buddy. That's just totally something that I say. But she's adopted it for her own. As I've been meditating on this commandment, it has been impressed on me how important it is for us to see that we are to be anchoring ourselves deeper into God and his word so that we may impress his glory onto others. What a terrible thing it would be that our children talk like us and talk nothing of Christ. Our kids pick up our mannerisms and our values. They learn to talk from us. They learn to walk from us. Let them also learn to treasure God and his word from us as well. Let them learn to meditate on God themselves so that they become trees planted beside living waters. Christ has called his people to be disciples who make disciples. We're called not only to share the good news, not only to hold to this good news, but to share it and speak about the glory and the greatness of God to each other. We're meant to speak to our wives, to our husbands, to our children, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our friends, even people we are meeting in passing about the great glory of God. By meditating on God and his glory, we are equipped to do just that. So brothers and sisters, fill your minds and your hearts with the greatness of the glory of God. Bask in the light of his glory. Be seasoned with his flavor. Steep in him, in his grace. Make every moment a moment of taking joy in him and share that light and that love with others as you reflect his holiness as children of the risen king. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we have considered your command and your call to meditate on your word. And Lord, Baptists are known as being a people of the book. We, we prioritize your word. But Lord, it would be a great and terrible thing for us to prioritize your word, but not to actually lay it to heart. That is the path of hypocrisy. And Lord, we confess to you that we are not above hypocrisy. In fact, each and every day we we act hypocritically. And Lord, we confess that to you. 
And we ask, Father, that our faith would not be a facade, but that it would be real and deep and true, and that that would be evidenced by the way we live. Lord, as we have considered this great and important spiritual discipline, I pray that we would lay this to heart, that we would begin to, to read our Bibles, not, because, not just because we know you call us to do that, not just because we know we should, but because we want to know you and we want to reflect your glory. We want to take on your flavor. Our treasure is with you. And so, Father, give us hearts that desire you and hearts that desire your word because of that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.